Check out blackgirlnerds.com forward slash t-shirts. There you can purchase several different t-shirts that ranges from sizes small to 5X that come into a variety of designs and includes our BGN logo. Also, you can go to zazzle.com forward slash blurredgasm. There you can purchase mugs, tote bags, keychains, as well as various t-shirts from our store. And finally, support us on Patreon. If you go to patreon.com forward slash blackgirlnerds, you can support us on a monthly basis. Your support helps with these podcasts. It helps with our website, our YouTube channel, traveling expenses to cover various cons. So if you go to patreon.com forward slash blackgirlnerds, we will appreciate your support. Hi, this is Maya G from Rain, a fan film about Storm. And you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Greg Pock. I'm the writer of Totally Awesome Hulk and Kingsway West. But most importantly, you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. And it is awesome. This is Mildred Lewis, creator of Agents of the Realm. And you are listening to Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hey, this is Francesca Ramsey. But everyone online knows me as Cheska Lee. And you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. And it's dope. This is Simone Missick, and I am Misty Knight, and you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hey, it's Debbie Kamau Bell, host of the CNN show United Shades of America, and you're listening to Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hey, I'm Effie Brown, and I'm a producer of Dear White People, Real Women Have Curves, and recently you probably saw me on HBO's Project Greenlight. And you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hi, this is Daryl Bell from Planet Earth. Now, actually, I'm from a different world, school days, and, well, Chicago. There you go. I'm from there, too. And it's a joy and a pleasure to be here on the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. tuning in to episode 77 of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host. This episode is titled Roots Recap and Girl Talk, divided into four segments. Our first segment, we invite the blurred patron of saints, Mr. LeVar Burton himself. You know him best as Jordy LaForge on Star Trek The Next Generation, Kunta Kinte from Roots, or his wonderful legacy as being the host of the Emmy Award winning series, Reading Rainbow. He stopped by and chatted with us here on the podcast to talk about his role in the new reimagined roots. And also he chats with us about his experiences working in the industry and also the recent pushback, including Snoop Dogg himself, about boycotting roots. So he gives us a very profound and thought-provoking 
perspective as to why the Root series is so important to American audiences, international audiences, and why it was so important to him at the time when he was making it. And in that interview, it is co-hosted by Kayla, Marquita, and Tora. In our second segment, we invite Reggae Jean Page. Reggae Jean plays the role of Chicken George on the Roots Reimagined series. We chatted with him about his role as Chicken George and also fangirled a little bit over him because he did such a groundbreaking and impressive job in his role and talked about his work as an actor and his work as an actor based in the UK. And that podcast is co-hosted by Karan and Kayla. In our third segment, we bring back Will Packer. Will Packer was a guest on episode 75, and as promised, he came back and delivered. And we talked mostly about the women in Roots and why these roles were so important and why they were very definitive for this narrative. And in this podcast, the co-hosts are Kayla and Karan. And our fourth segment called Girl Talk Initially, this was not supposed to be a part of this podcast, but the reason why it was built into another segment was because we had such a great banter between myself, Marquita, Kayla, and Tora. This was shortly after we had recorded the podcast with LeVar Burton, and we were trying to collect ourselves and get ourselves together. And in this discussion, we talk about roots, we talk about politics, we talk about South Park, and just having a really great discussion and reflecting on the interview that we had just done. So it was such an interesting conversation that I thought it was worthy to put it on the podcast. So that is it for our show. I think you will enjoy it. I know for a fact you will enjoy it. Bookmark this, pin it, share it with everyone that you know. Share it with folks that have not yet seen Roots and have very adverse feelings towards it. This may change their mind. That was some really great, interesting perspectives given by each of the guests that I think is something worthy to hear and may be valuable. And even if you don't change their mind, at least give them some insight as to why historical narratives need to continue to be told. Sit back, relax, or if you're working out, prepare for your adrenaline levels to spike up you are really going to enjoy this podcast. I will guarantee that. I will guarantee that for a fact. And make sure you leave us a comment on SoundCloud. Give us a rating on iTunes. Let us know how we're doing. Kind of gas us up right now in the iTunes space because those ratings, they do matter. So if you enjoy listening to these podcasts, if you want these podcasts to continue to thrive, We need to be recognized in iTunes. So give us that rating, leave a comment. And again, thank you so much for your continued support. And we hope to give you everything that you want and expect in this great Roots Reimagined segment. So stay tuned for Roots Recap and Girl Talk. Enjoy. LeVar Burton is an actor, presenter, director, producer, and author. He's known for roles such as the young Kunta Kinte in the 1977 award-winning ABC TV series, Roots. Also known as Lieutenant Commander Geordi LaForge in Star Trek The Next Generation, and the host of the long-running PBS children's series, Reading Rainbow. 
He also directed a number of TV episodes. Welcome to this very special edition of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie. I am your host. We are more than thrilled to chat with you guys tonight about a recent miniseries that premiered called Roots, the Reimagined Roots. And we have some of the creators and actors appearing on our podcast this week. This one particular guest that we have on this segment tonight is the patron saint of blurdom. Let me just tell you, we have the one, the only, the legendary LeVar Burton here on the Black Girl Nerds podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Ladies, it is indeed my extreme and joyous pleasure to be with you. You know what, y'all? I'm a big fan. Wow. Wow. That's <laughs> Seriously, that just took my breath away, you saying that. Uh, well, but this is this should not come as a surprise to you. I followed you all throughout the course of, of, of the Roots broadcast, and I was on Kuntus Ken every night. Even though I wasn't always making myself visible, I was following the conversation. Wow. And I must say... I'm a big fan. Thank you. Thank you so, so much for that. Did you know that when uh, Reading Rainbow dropped on Netflix, we did a live tweet of Reading Rainbow? I do know that. I do know that. And and that's when you all first uh, appeared on my radar. And I had every intention of, of joining that live tweet event, but it was on a weekend. Yeah. And, um, and my time uh, got sucked up by something else not necessarily that was more important but was just more pressing in my life at the time um but that's when that's when i first became aware of y'all and um i've been i've, I've had my eye on you ever since that's awesome i love twitter for that <laughs> right because i'm a fan i'm a fan can i just say that at, at, at the outset I'm a fan. I, I love y'all. I love what you do. I love what you represent. I love how you represent. I am, and as the father of a black girl nerd, Mika Burton, um, I, I, you all have a very special place in my heart. Thank you so much. What a beautiful compliment. I, we really, really appreciate that. And we have three lovely co-hosts joining us tonight. Marquita. Welcome to the show, by the way. Thank you. Tora and Kayla. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. So Thank you. <laughs> again, Lavar, this is an honor and a privilege. As I mentioned in your intro, you are the patron saint of Blurds and an icon to us all in this community. With stellar work, such as your historical role of Kunta Kente and Roots, your work on Reading Rainbow, your eminent role as Geordie LaForge, in Star Trek The Next Generation, which is my personal favorite iteration of Star Trek. During all of those years, did you ever self-identify as a nerd? And out of all of your work, which ones have impacted you the most? I've been a nerd, um, boy, all of my life. Um, as a young black man growing up in Sacramento, California, I spent a lot of time either in my bedroom reading or in the backyard under a tree um, reading. Um, I did not carry a pocket protector uh, coming up. I did not. Uh, I did not have a protractor in in my shirt pocket, um, but my best friend did. 
buys so, a sheet. Okay. But, so buys, <laughs> but I mean, and and I have to say, um, and it and it, it's been more than just the 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 modern era that I have embraced that part of me. I mean, I've been a science fiction fan for the whole of my life and Star Trek, the original series was an important part of my life growing up because Gene Roddenberry's vision of the future was one that embraced me. So I in turn embraced it. It was rare for me when reading science fiction novels. And I read, you know, I came up on the masters on, on Robert Heinlein and Isaac Asimov and Ben Bova and Arthur C. Clarke and, and with very few exceptions, Arthur C. Clarke noted, um, it was rare for me to encounter heroes in the pages of those books who looked like me. Gene Roddenberry's vision of the future was the exception, and, and it was on TV. It was in the popular culture. And having Nichelle Nichols on the bridge of the original Enterprise representing, you know, for, for folks who looked like me um, meant the world. And and what role out of all of the work that you've done over the years has impacted you the most? Oh, well, let me let me respond in, in this way. It is rare for an actor to to be able to have in in a career three jewels such as the ones that I have um, in in my trifecta. Roots was and continues to be with with the re-envisioning of Roots um, a cultural touchstone in this country. Um, and in its own way, Star Trek as well, and not just in America, but all over the world. However, I, I genuinely believe that the most important, important work I have done and will ever do is as the host and producer of Reading Rainbow. Mm, that's- because... Because what what that work is about is is connecting children to literature in an indelible way so as to really have an impact on that child's life for the entirety of that life. I genuinely believe that that literacy is the key. If you can read in at least one language, then then you are in my definition of the word in the modern sense free. Right. No one can impose their will upon you. No one can put the okey-doke on you. If you are literate in at least one language, then you have the capacity and the wherewithal to be a lifelong learner. And you can literally pick up a book and what? Take a look, right? And, and, and go anywhere and be anything and in, in terms of art's ability to impact culture and move the culture forward, I'm enormously proud of Roots. How could I not be? I'm enormously proud of being a part of the Star Trek storytelling mythos I, I, for obvious reasons that, that we've already talked about. However, I don't believe I could ever have more impact than, than I do with Reading Rainbow. So powerful. And and speaking of powerful and very impactful work, you're currently now the executive producer of the Roots miniseries that premiered, mm-hmm. and it premiered on three different networks. 
Mm-hmm. Why are stories like this so important to us today? And how did the original actors react to seeing this reimagined series? That's a great, great question. Because in my view, and I, I actually I see myself, I self-identify as a storyteller. That's what I do. That's how I see myself. Through acting, directing, writing, producing, my job is to be a storyteller. And for me, storytellers and storytelling has always provided a context for humanity, for who we are, why we're here, where we're going, and most importantly, what is my individual contribution going to be to this uniquely human journey, right? So storytelling is 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 the vessel through which we discover our place in the community the community of at large in in the larger world that community in in every sense of the word um your school community your family community storytelling provides the context for who we are and what we're doing while we're here. And, and so Roots was tremendously significant because it reframed for those of us in this culture. And then again, you know, all around the world, it reframed what we mean when we talk about slavery in America. Before Roots, it was convenient for America to tell itself the story that Slavery was an economic institution. It was an economic engine that that used this labor to mine the natural resources in in this nation and and help it rise to the status of world power that it occupies today. Roots literally put a face on that institution of slavery, right, through Alex Haley's family from Kunta Kinte through emancipation, we saw and experienced simultaneously back in 1977 as a nation, we experienced the cost of slavery, the human suffering involved. And, and as I say, it reframed for all of us, both black and white America, what we mean when we talk about, when we talk about slavery. So it was tremendously important culturally. And, um, and I, I believe that the, the original, the members of the original cast, mm-hmm. um, like myself, were very skeptical, um, at the outset. Um, and I, and I hope I, I haven't taken a poll, but I, my, my feeling is, is that, uh, had they, you know, the wherewithal to check it out, they would have, as I am, they would have been enormously proud of of the retelling. This is Kayla, and I just want to first say I'm a huge fan, and thank you so much for reading Rainbow and everything else that you've done. Um, but I want to know, when you were doing the original Roots, did you know the impact that it was going to have on the audiences? <laughs> <laughs> no, Kayla, I, I, I certainly didn't. Look, I was 19 um, when when I got the job in Roots. Roots was my first professional audition. Um, my very first day as a professional actor, Cicely Tyson played my mother. 
Dr. Maya Angelou played my grandmother. I had died and gone to actor heaven. You, you feel me? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, I was, I was a kid. I was, and I was the new kid on the block. Now, what was extraordinary to me about about that experience was that they embraced me. All of those veterans, all of those people, Cicely, Dr. Maya, um, Moses Gunn, mm. Harry Rose, G2 Kumbuka, Louis Gossett Jr. These are people that I had seen on the screen, big and small, my entire life. These were giants in my eyes. And they embraced me. They figured that since I was there, I had earned my right to be there. And they schooled me. They taught me what it meant to be a professional um, and and work in the professional ranks. And I I, I could never repay my, my debt to them for for not just the tutelage, but for having accepted me as a peer. How have you managed to keep yourself going within this industry and, and stay grounded? Because this is an industry where can make or break you and you've just seemed to just keep going and going. That is a, that's a, that is an ongoing struggle. Um, I've been very lucky, you know, in, in my career. Uh, and I believe that um, I discovered early on that I did not like sitting around and waiting for the phone to ring. I did not like giving up the power to do what it is I love doing to other people. And so I began very early on in my career to be uh, an advocate on my own behalf and to whenever opportunity presented itself to develop other skill sets um, so that I could diversify and, and do more than just one thing. Um, so 40, 40 years on in, in this career, um, I look to the breadth of, of skill sets that I have that enable me to not have to rely upon one thing to A, make a living and B, fill my soul up on, on a creative level. Um, that's why I say, I mean, that's why it's just more convenient for me to identify as a storyteller. And, and I do that through, um, through acting, through directing, through writing, through producing, um, through voiceover, um, in in as many modalities as I possibly can. I want to tell stories and apply my creative self to the process of storytelling. Oh, wow. Um, I'm Tora. And as everybody else has already fangirled about you, um, I'm much the same. I've loved you since I first saw Reading Rainbow. Um, so racial tensions and awareness of civil injustices in America have you know, steadily increased since Trayvon Martin and the start of the Black Lives Matter movement. How would you compare the reactions to this Roots remake against responses to the original roots at its release during the decline of the black power movement in the seventies? That is a a great question. Um, I, 
as you were asking a question, there were two things that stood out in my mind. Um, and I will address, I will address them both this way. I believe that there is a continuum of energy that runs from the end of the Civil War and the reconstruction of the South, the migration of populations of, of black people from the South to the North and, and then westward. My family is a product of that westward movement of peoples, the civil rights movement in the 60s, roots in the 70s, and Barack Obama being elected president of the United States in 2008. Remove one of those events from that link, from that, from, from that chain of events, and history collapses on itself. So I say that to say that I, I, I don't necessarily agree that there was a decline of the black power movement. The black power movement came and then roots came on its heels. The black power movement was in between the civil rights movement and, and, and roots in, in the late seventies. Um, that's just my personal point of view. Again, I was born in 1957, so I definitely have a perspective and point of view that would obviously be different from your own. Um, having said that, um, one of the things that I am m most pleased about is that when, when we decided to, to engage in this remake of Roots, this retelling of Alex Haley's family story, and as I said before, I was, I was, uh, <laughs> I was not convinced initially. Um, I'm not a fan of remakes in general. And when I first heard about the effort, I was very skeptical and, and it took some convincing. But once I was convinced, I, I was in and decided to go all in on this effort. And one of the, the things that happened, not because we planned it, but because it was meant to be, was that we aired in an environment of, of social discourse where, where the role of, of, of the vestiges of slavery, racism, and the inequalities that continue to exist in this society were top of mind conversations for this nation. And the original roots sort of pulled the scab off the wound that no one wanted to deal with in 1977. Mm -hmm. This time around, it, it was, it, it, it was a very different and has been a very different experience because roots was able to add to an already ongoing conversation and provide context for why this conversation continues and needs to continue to be had. That, that this experiment called democracy that we are all engaged in, no matter what side of the color line you are on, it, it continues to require all of our input in order to move inexorably toward a successful outcome. We are not there yet, y'all, is my point, right? But we all need to continue to be engaged in order for the promise, right? The promise of America, the nation on this planet that 
set as its North Star that all men and women would be created equal. Now, clearly, that hasn't always been the reality, but it is the ideal. And there's no other place on earth where that is the stated intention of the republic. Wow. LeVar, you're oh, you wow. bringing us to church. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's your life. It's your life. Right. <laughs> Let me get myself together after that. So, um, this is a little more lighthearted. So, during... <laughs> So during an episode of Community, um, Troy's reaction to meeting you is one of both elation and terror at the thought of disappointing you because of, you know, your imagined status as his father figure. This was obviously exaggerated for comedic effect, but how does it affect you when you meet children and young adults whose lives have been touched by your work on Reading Rainbow? Uh, it's difficult to put into words, I, and 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 more often than <laughs> than not, uh, Troy's reaction is is what I encounter. Oh, um, understandably it, it, so. It, it, it's yeah. <laughs> it's wild, y'all, um, because this was this was a, a slow burn, if ever there was one. You know, we started reading Rainbow 33 years ago as a summer experiment to deal with what teachers refer to as the summer slide. When a child is learning how to read, they take that three-month summer vacation and their reading and comprehension scores suffer. And it was an, an, an effort to use the, the technology of the day that gave us access to the audience to really steer children back in the direction of the written word, using television to create connection to kids and, and good, good books. 33 years later, you know, I've had my head down. I've been focused on the work and I looked up and this was really, this was really the wake up call for me. When we launched the reading rainbow Kickstarter in May of 2014, and and the overwhelming and believe me it was indeed overwhelming the overwhelming response of the generation of adults now who grew up on reading rainbow um it it, it opened my eyes to just how how effective you know we had we had managed to be over the course of a lot of of years of of toil and 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 steadfastness to the mission right my mother was an english teacher so reading rainbow for me is more than a job it's it's my vocation right it's it's what i believe i came into a body in this life to do this is my contribution Right. This is my work. Reading Rainbow, my work in terms of, of of literacy and connecting kids to the written word. That's what my soul agreed to do before I came in, if you know what I mean. And so 
to look up and 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 get that response to get that that overwhelming wave of to be at the center of that wave of love was and that's really what it was it was it 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 felt it 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 had the vibration and 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 the signature of of love and and all of these adults as i say who grew up on the show wanted to make sure that this good thing that they had experienced in their childhood would be available to children that they would never meet. And, and that was an amazing, amazing thing to be a part of, to behold. My question had to do with uh, tying into a, a comment that producer Will Packer made about, in contrast, about there's a lot of material about the Holocaust and relatively few slave narratives. What are your thoughts about those who shy away in or criticize the latest being Snoop Dogg, fictional narratives involving slavery? I think you already covered its relevance today, but maybe. But let me address that because because, uh, you know, most of us who are listening to this podcast um, are aware through our activities on social media that that um, Mr. Brodus was very critical um, and, in fact, called for a boycott of Roots. Mm -hmm. And I'm a Snoop Dogg fan. I am. I've met Snoop Dogg, and um, I, I think he is. Uh, he has a he has a voice that is listened to. And so when when he said what he said, um, I it hurt. I'm not gonna lie to you because number one, he hadn't even he hadn't seen Roots when he was calling for a boycott of it. He hadn't seen what we had done, which um, is ignorant and and doesn't make sense. But even more than that, I understand the sort of um, resistance that exists out there, specific, especially and specifically, and I'm speaking about the black community now, there is a definite resistance, and I, I experienced it when 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 we were gearing up and and doing the press and getting ready for the premiere of Roots. There was this sentiment in the black community that oh, I've seen that before, and I I, I don't need to see it again. But what what puzzles me, what I don't agree with, is the idea that Roots is about slavery. Because number one, Roots is a family story, and is it is about this family and their journey through enslavement, right? And one of the things that we tried to do differently this time around was really to communicate to the audience at large that black people in America, that our identity did not begin in chains, that our identity actually began in Africa and that we are all from a rich culture and traditions that preceded slavery by hundreds of years and that the transatlantic slave trade was an interruption in that. Now, given there is, there is a lot of shame associated with our period of enslavement here. But what black people fail to see is that that shame has been imposed upon us by the dominant 
culture. We have been inculcated with the idea that we should be ashamed of who we are. And we have bought into that for better or worse. And so I understand the resistance to a show like Roots. Now, you cited the Holocaust story as a story that we continue to experience in popular culture. There's no shame in the Shoah, which is what the Jewish people call the Holocaust. There is no shame in the Holocaust. And there should be no shame in slavery. And one of the things that I was hoping we could accomplish with this new retelling of Roots was to get rid of, eliminate some of that energy of shame that black people have always felt about this part of our past because the shame is not ours. Mm -hmm. It is not because we are the descendants of the survivors. The, The DNA that runs through us is the best that the continent had to offer. We are the descendants of those who had the the intestinal fortitude, the courage, the wherewithal, and the strength to survive the most atrocious acts in the history of humanity. They tried to eliminate us, y'all. And we are still here. Amen to that. So there is is no (laughs) in being black and American, in my point of view. We have helped this country, we look, the, the modern world, look, depending upon the, the historian that you talk to, between only 5 and 15% of the ships that left the west coast of Africa landed on these shores. So where did those the other 85% go? They went to the Caribbean. They went to South America. They went to Europe. The modern world as we know it, between the colonization of Africa, between the British Raj and the transatlantic slave trade, the modern world as we know it was built on the backs of people of color. You feel me? Mm. Oh, yes. Most definitely. So, so don't talk to me about I don't want, I don't need to hear that story anymore. Because you only reveal to me that you have no idea in saying that. You have no clue who you are and where you come from. Wow. Yes. I've always felt there's a legacy there that people, great. when we ignore it, we lose all that we've gained from that. I always took that. That's how my family looks at it as this something to build upon and that we have all this fortitude and all these abilities in us and that it's something not to be ashamed at. I, you touched on it perfectly. I really appreciate that. And it's not just slavery. It's everything that came after slavery. Right. In the Reconstruction, in Jim Crow. I mean, we there has been a foot on our necks for the last 200 plus years. And guess what? We still rise. We still rise in spite of all of the attempts to keep us down. We're still, look, we are about to lose the best president this country has mm. had in recent memory. Don't make me cry. Right? Mm. Right. Yeah. We are going to miss this first family. And, 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 and it's, it's not just Barack. It's Michelle. Yes. It's Sasha and Malia. 
This first family has represented this nation unlike any other in modern history. So there is no shame in, 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 for me in representing for black people because it took me a long time in my life, growing up in this country and in this culture, it took me a long time to stop hating myself and to come to a sense of, oh, I know who I am. I know what I'm capable of. I know where I'm going. I know what I'm meant to do. And there is no thing that has the power to stop me. I had to learn that on my own, as do each of us individually. And we have to learn it in a culture that wants to keep its foot firmly on our necks. Wow. Oh, goodness. All right. <laughs> I'm sorry, y'all. But you, no. you asked. Let the church say amen. Yes. <laughs> Just absorbing all of this. Is, right. Oh, gosh. Don't ask Kunta if you don't want the truth. <laughs> I just say I have always loved how you have embraced that role because and that's why I that's kind of how I formed my question was that you were always attached to that form. You know what it did for you, you were proud of it, there's nothing wrong. And you kinda like you definitely went over like there's so much there, it's so much fuller than I think a lot of people look at it because I think they do split away what came after, how we survive, how we continue to rise. They always just reduce it to being in bondage. And so I always love when you're, I forget what I was watching and you said something like Kuta out. And I was like, dude, I just, I love that. <laughs> I love yes. how you always do that. It's really cool. Uh, Kuta, let me, let me just say this. You know, we, we, we had the opportunity to go to South Africa and shoot the first night of Roots. And I'd never been to South Africa before. And I was shocked to discover that everyone in South Africa had seen Roots. Now, the thing that that really took me out was that Roots was banned in, in South Africa. So that meant that, that video cassettes of the original Roots were, was, were passed from family to family, from house to house, that entire nation of black people in defiance of the law watched Roots surreptitiously in their homes. Kunta Kinte has become an international symbol of the indomitability of the human spirit. And it is only here in this country that has a history of enslaving black people where there is even a, 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 the, the, the suggestion that being from Africa and identifying as, as a Kunta Kente is anything but heroic. Think about that. Only in America. Only in America. Only in America. Is it derogatory to be associated with the continent of Africa? Mm. Genetically historically, biologically. We've been brainwashed. We have been brainwashed. That's some serious shit, y'all. Really? For real? Really is. It really is. We don't, and we don't hear the stories of things that are happening on the tech side 
of what's you know in various countries in africa we don't hear about billionaire oil baronesses (laughs) that live there and it's just it's really tragic that all of that information is just dismantled and just removed and erased for so many african americans and instead these images of various countries in africa being these third world parts of the country would that's not encompassing of all of these countries that are there. There are countries in Africa that look like big cities, that look like New York City. But, you know, you, we don't see that side of it. Here's the good news. We live in an era of, we live in the information age, right? And so we have access to all of the information that exists on the planet. And what what I love is that there are, we, we do not need to be beholden to the gatekeepers to keep us informed. Mm, that's right. That we have the ability, if you have the desire, we have the ability at, at our finger, literally at our fingertips to find out what's going on in all parts of the globe and, and, and keep ourselves up to date and informed and that's possible for the first time in the history of human civilization. We live in a remarkable time where this is this has never been possible before to have access to all of the information uh, that that constitutes the the totality of human endeavor, past, present, and future. We have access to it, and that's a miracle, in my view. Awesome. That is. Very awesome, which ties into my next question. Uh, when crafting stories about the African-American perspective, about mm-hmm. African-Americans, do you feel there are limits, whether real or imaginary? Uh, example I often give is kind of like how I joke about friends or have conversations about time travel. It would be kind of difficult for Black people, especially Black women. <laughs> hmm. Well, um, I, 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 I see your point. However, uh, I think you're primarily referring to time travel in the past, mm-hmm. because right. I would I would my assumption is that based on you, your cohort and cadre of, of of black women, that the future of black women on this planet is really bright. So if you were to time travel a thousand years, 500, a thousand years in the future, we might encounter a world that is dominated by black female. Yes. Interest. Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm just saying, look, I was raised by a black woman. I, I'm married to one. Um, the father of one brother of two. Um, I have a very healthy respect. For black women, I know how powerful y'all are. I know how strong y'all are. I would not. I say about my mother, Irma Jean Christian, I, I am the man that I am because she is the person she is. Cool. Thank you. I will keep that in mind. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> if there was ever a life-changing podcast to listen to, this would be the one. I'm just blown away by your commentary and I am so honored um, to have had you on our podcast tonight. 
LeVar, can you just tell us where we can find you on the interwebs and your social media mm. shout outs? Um, I am at LeVar Burton. And please, y'all, spell my name right. It is not L-A-V-A-R. LeVar is L-E, V as in victory, A-R, Burton, B-U-R-T-O-N. I am at LeVar Burton on Twitter. Um, um, I'm on Instagram at LeVar.Burton. Um, you can't find me on Facebook, um, but um, you can you can go to uh, you can follow at Reading Rainbow on on Twitter um, and all of the other social media sites. Um, look for me. I'll be there. I'm I'm hanging out. <laughs> Thank you so so much. This was an honor. Oh my God. Thank you. It was. Really a genuine pleasure, ladies. I really, really, really appreciate you. And that's the truth. Reggae Jean Page is a British Zimbabwean actor from London, England. Page is known most for his role as Chicken George in the TV series Roots. He also appeared in the film Survivor as Robert Prevell. Welcome to this segment of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie. I am your host. We are doing a Roots recap all this week on the podcast, and we are very excited for our guest that's on tonight. You saw Nights 3 and 4. You probably know him best as the role of Chicken George on the Roots miniseries. We are so happy and honored to have Reggae Jean Page here on the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you very much. Hey, what's up, guys and girls? And we also have, by the way, our lovely co-hosts, Karan and Kayla. Thank you, ladies, for coming on. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. What's up, lovely (laughs) co-hosts? That that is what's up. That is what's up. (laughs) Giggles all around today, ladies and gentlemen. Giggles all around. That's that's what we do here. So, Reggie Jean, I know you had some huge shoes to fill Mm. playing the role of Chicken George. And you did such a fantastic job reimagining the role and giving such a compelling performance. Did you at all consult with Ben Vereen while preparing for the role? And what did you learn most from playing this character? Well, firstly, thank you very much for saying I did a good job. It's genuinely very gratifying to hear that um, and to hear that people have received it very well. I haven't had the pleasure of meeting Ben Vereen yet, so I didn't get to consult with him. LeVar Burton was on set because he was producing. So we talked a little bit. But... No, my preparation was mostly individual. I mean, I was just this wide-eyed kid who turned up from London with an awful lot of imagination going on in my head, and I just kind of did my best with that. There are very, very large shoes to fill. It's a very huge responsibility taking on something like this. When you take on a property and a character in particular who's literally already loved by millions of people before you start, that's a hell of a weight to carry. It's a lot of responsibility to take on. But I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because I think that that is a great fire, a great fuel to work with. And it can push you to slightly more ambitious places than you might otherwise, just purely because you have to bring something new. You have to bring something worthwhile. And if you're being ambitious about this, you have to bring something better than we've had before. I mean, otherwise, what's the point? And so if you're aiming for better than the fabulous, sparkling Ben Vereen, then you're aiming pretty damn high, you know? Right. Wow. What did you learn most from from playing the role of Chicken George? <laughs> listen to your mama, man. Everybody, go <laughs> home and listen to your mama. 
<laughs> would have just saved us all like 500 heart attacks last week if George just listened to his goddamn mama. <laughs> Genuinely, I think that is what I learned the most. I think um, I learned a lot about um, when you live through the Civil War, you know, you learn a lot about American history. If you learn about American history, you learn about American politics. If you learn about American politics, you learn about the world in general, because what you guys do has effects for all of us everywhere else. You know, I grew up in Zimbabwe, which is kind of slightly outside of the center of everything. And so you grow up watching the world in all these important places in New York and London and L.A., where people make these important decisions and you just kind of ride the ripples of them because no one's really thinking about you. And then when you finally move into these places, you get a very new perspective on things like that because you've seen it from both the inside and the outside. And so the more you delve into the history of that, you understand the nuances a lot better. And I think that that's kind of what Roots has to offer in general, in terms of if you go back to your history, if you go back to your personal family history and understand the legacy of what brought you to where you are, you'll understand why you're there, why the inequalities that exist are there, why the systems are set up in a certain way, because you see the birth of those systems, you see how they were built, you see who they were built for and why, and suddenly you go, oh, that's me or oh that ain't me that's why it doesn't take me into account do you see what i mean right wow that's amazing this is a really huge role and a major breakout role for you in american television how has this whole experience for you been as a london-based actor and are you interested in pursuing more american tv or films Absolutely. I mean, you guys have the center of the industry. There's the most work here than anywhere else. American culture is exported all over the world. I've grown up watching it like most of everyone else. And so, of course, I'm interested in working here, but I'm interested in telling the beauty of what's going on in media right now. And the fact that we can talk over a podcast and having met over Twitter is the fact that anyone can make media now. You know, it's a bit like the 90s where punk bands started um, springing up because you could make music in your garage. So I'm excited to tell stories here, but I'm just as excited to tell an Uzbek story or a Japanese story, whatever's interesting, whatever can contribute to this new kind of global identity that we're forming. It kind of doesn't matter who's telling the story. It's down to whether the story is any good and what I have to contribute to it. This is Karan, and I'd like to ask, how has being part of this cast and crew changed things for you as an actor and as a man? <laughs> I think I've been very, very privileged to have walked onto a set with an incredibly high caliber of professionals on it. You know, when you're doing my first week, my first week and a half, I think, on this set was just me and Chad L. Coleman in a barn. And that's kind of a cool actor to ease you in because he's very, very good, obviously, but he's also a lot of fun. Um, and so he kind of held my hand and grounded me a bit. I'm doing half of my scenes with Anika Noni Rose, which is a privilege beyond belief that, as I'm sure I don't need to tell any blurds, particularly black girl nerds out there, if you're looking for black girl magic, she's just sweating it every day. Uh, and so I think, sorry, I've kind of forgotten what the question was, but that's kind of what was awesome about the set. <laughs> what did you ask me? <laughs> I asked what, <laughs> I love to hear you talk. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to just keep doing that and hope that I can <laughs> lag my way through. I was, I was asking how has being a part of the cast and crew changed things for you as an actor and as a man? Okay, yeah, sorry. So the quality of these people is what changed me as an actor, as a man. You know, the theme of Roots, as I said, is listen to your mama. It's listen, it's sit down, watch your elders, listen to them, see where you come from, see what they do right, see what you can bring and improve upon. And that's what I did. I came into this set and I improved as an actor because I had incredible actors around me to learn from and I had to learn very, very quickly. And I hope that I've grown as a man in the same way that anyone does when you go to work and you work with good people. You take on that quality 
you raise your ambitions. You go, oh, that's the target that I can shoot for now. And so you aim higher and you shoot higher and you achieve more. And so I hope that professionally and personally, I grew just by being around such good actors and such good people. Every time you meet people of that caliber, you realize there is more and that it is your duty to try and achieve that. Chicken George was something else. He loved so fiercely and he was the ultimate showman. Mm-hmm. How much of him is in you and what do you carry with you from playing him? <laughs> I'm not quite sure how much of George I want to admit to. Because <laughs> as much as he loves fiercely, he's also got a, uh, some glaring flaws and he fully, fully earns the epic slap that is handed out by Miss Nanny Rose at one point. And to be honest, he deserves a couple more than that, I think. But yes, he loves fiercely. He has an incredible amount of ambition. I think that's what I plug into more than anything else. I think that he, the thing that inspired me about George more than anything else was his absolute refusal to be defined by his circumstances. Mm-hmm. He is a man who is aware of his own manhood in, a, in an age where everyone is telling you that you are not a man. You are not a human being. You are worth less. Um, and he absolutely doesn't even so much reject this as refuses to take that concept on. And says, nah, I'm a hustle. What can I take from this world? Where can I find my place? How can I achieve despite the entirety of society being against me in that way? And I think that that's something that's very powerful and very inspiring. Just the sheer strength of the hustle on the man. And so I've taken that away a little bit. I've taken away his resilience. His incredible love for Matilda is something that I think a lot of people found inspiring. And I certainly did. And just his ability to grow and learn. I took a lot more of the older version of George with me than I did the younger version. It feels like I spent more time with him, even though I spent less, just purely because he'd taken on so much experience. And I hope that watching it, you realize that he changed an awful lot. And I think that a lot of people are scared to change. But watching George change and growing with him made me much less afraid of that. Um, I think change is good. So you change in order to grow, you know, to become stronger, to become a much more complete human being that I hope is what you observed happening with George. Okay, so my question for you (laughs) is, you and some of the cast participated in some live tweeting with the fans and the audience that was watching. How was it for you to get that feedback live um, while the show was going off? Incredible. It was a bit like, I was in LA and I think a lot of the cast were in New York at the time. So they were seeing, most of the conversation was happening when it was broadcast kind of East Coast time. So for me, it was kind of like hearing the game on the radio, because I know the show so well by this point. I knew exactly what was going on purely from the reactions on Twitter. Um, and so I just sat there with my phone kind of going, oh, my God, they just got to bit this. Oh, my God, this bit, you know, oh, my God, this person just died. And it was really, really, really cool kind of seeing that feedback in real time. And a lot of fun to kind of participate in that a little bit. You guys were absolutely instrumental in building a community around that, which is something very new for me. I'm a bit of a technophobe. I'm a terrible nerd. I'm not great with technology. Um <laughs> And so it was kind of, it was a very cool, this is the first time I've ever really kept up with the show being live tweeted and kind of getting involved in that community while that's happening. It was an experience, it's an experience I very much enjoyed. So did you take anything away from doing this production that you feel will stay with you forever? I took George's shoes away from this production and they're going to stay with me forever because they were awesome. Wow. Um, <laughs> just really cool shoes, seriously. Like in that final night, the ones he comes back from England in, they were staying with me. Um <laughs> On a more serious note, um, I don't know, I guess an awareness of how much of the past that you carry with you, whether you want to or not. I think George spent a lot of his life rejecting being defined by anything other than himself and his own ego, like most teenagers, to be honest. You know, you're a teenager and you think the world is you and you don't know what your parents are for. Why are you here? 
why don't you understand Twitter? And then George kind of grew out of that and realized that whether he likes it or not, he is the product of a lot of hard work and sweat and bloodshed that has come before him to give him that position, a privilege to even think that he can define himself like that. And that awareness of living in a world that was built before you, that has consequences for you, and that your life and your actions will have consequences for those who come after you. Um, I think that that awareness has grown in me, and I'll take that away, definitely. That's a perfect answer. <laughs> so perfect. <laughs> Thanks, I try. <laughs> it really is. And you, again, I was just blown away by your performance on Roots, and so thankful for this work. So thank you so much for coming on our podcast. Can you let our listeners know, I know you're a bit of a social media introvert, but let us know where we can find you on the interwebs and your social media shout outs. Cool. Um, I am on Twitter. I don't do much with it. I'm kind of poking it very, very gingerly to kind of see how it moves and whether or not it's going to bite me. But you can find me at Regejean, R-E-G-E-J-E-A-N. I have a Facebook page, which I think is front slash the same Regejean or something. And there's a link to it on Twitter. And I'm kind of, I'm old school. I treat these a little bit like, um, you know, when you used to follow bands and they had newsletters, that they email you. That's kind of the way my mind processes these things. So I'll throw things out every now and then, but I'm also a bit of an old man. At the moment, I'm completely overwhelmed by kind of people talking at me and I have no idea how to handle that. So I'm just kind of curled into a fetal position in the corner somewhere going, I'll deal with that later. <laughs> but I'm there. And when I figure it out, I will be your best friend. That's how it's going to work. You can be my best friend. <laughs> We hope when you get your next big blockbuster film playing a superhero that you will come back to our podcast and talk about it. Oh, you better believe it. When the Black Panther people call, I will be like, cool, but you know that we get Black Girl Nerds written into the contract, right? Because they do so much hard work for you guys that you don't even know about. So I'll I'll wait for the flag. Don't worry. Awesome. I'm going to hold you to that. Did you just gas me? (laughs) (laughs) You actually just instinctively yassed. Yes. 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 Oh, yeah. Well, thank you so, so, so much. And we appreciate it. Bye. 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 Will Packer is a film producer. He's also the executive producer of Roots. He's the founder of Will Packer Productions. Packer is known for producing low-budget, high-profit movies that have made him one of Hollywood's unsung successes. He's been included on several high-profile lists, including Giant Magazine's The Giant 100, Jet Magazine's What's Hot to Watch, and Black Enterprise's Most Powerful Players Under 40. Thank you so much for listening to this special Roots Recap edition of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie. I am your host. And we're going to start with bringing back a special guest that we had on last week to talk about Roots. You guys saw it. It premiered last week, four nights, Monday through Thursday, and trended on Twitter each night that it aired, which was phenomenal. So I'm very honored and proud to have back Mr. Will Packer, executive producer. Hey, hey, hey. What up? What up? What up? <laughs> How y'all doing? Doing excellent. Hey, yeah. Great. Excellent. Yeah? Yes, yes, yes. I'm doing I'm doing great myself. Let me just tell you guys, since we last spoke, um, I had the opportunity to sit down with my family, like I understand a lot of families did around the country. I sat down 
with my wife, my daughters, my son, and we watched every night, every single episode. And let me tell you, that was the most that we have watched anything ever. <laughs> and I make movies. <laughs> we have never sat down and watched that much content together. And so it was a family experience for us, and uh, and it was awesome. There were cheers, there were tears, there were yes. angry. Like my kids got angry at me at certain times. Like, Dad, are you you killed Noah? My daughter's still <laughs> mad at me for for how Noah went out. They, yeah. they said Noah was too cute to go down like that. They are mad <laughs> at me. I'm like, I didn't write that, y'all. <laughs> It was he phenomenal. Up. I was like, I know who that is. I know who baby that is. <laughs> there you go. There you go. And thank you so much for Karan and Kayla coming back to co-host. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so proud and excited to talk to Will again. This is awesome. Awesome. So, so Will, we have all watched Roots. You watched it with your daughters and your family, which is amazing. And I must say, it was definitely one of the most prolific, groundbreaking moments of TV that I've seen in a very long time. Um, it, it was very much... Wow, thank you. Really, seriously. And I, and I don't throw those kind of compliments around lightly, so it, it really was a phenomenal thing to watch. It, it was very much a story where the women were the foundation, uh, starting from Kunta's mother to showing Matilda's perseverance and strength. Why, why do you think that this was important to tell? Specifically through the female characters? Yeah. Because that's the truth. Because black women are the heart and soul of the black community. And as you saw depicted in the series, the power that the overseers were attempting to exact upon the slaves was the destruction of the black family. That was how they attempted to suppress, cause them to submit, keep down revolt, and hold power over them. It was the destruction of the black family. And what you saw in that series was an accurate depiction of the way that the women were the heart and soul then and, of course, now of the black family. I, I so love the the very, very talented actresses who you know, played our strong female characters. You've referenced a few because they, you know, were it not for them, we would not be as strong as we are as a community today. And it really, if you think about it, it really is incredible to think how we have persevered as a community when you think about how we were ripped apart as soon as we came to this country. So, you know, from Emiyatsi, Erica Tazel, and of course, Anika Noni Rose. Um, you know, it was it was it was just amazing. And Myra, uh, <laughs> young Kizzy, uh, yes, she, she yes. killed it. You know, she was so strong. That 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 night too is definitely one of my favorite nights. It really is. And and, and her performance was was one of them. But I mean, so many great performers. I don't want to single out any of them because they were also very very strong. I was really really proud of that cast. It, it, it was by far the strongest performances I've seen in such a long time with each actor, respectively. And speaking of Anika Noni Rose, who played the role of Kizzy, the series itself... Yes. It, adult it, Kizzy. Adult Kizzy, yes. It, it felt like it was her story. We, we got a very fully fleshed story arc from the beginning of her life to the end, 
Was that intentional? And what kind of feedback have you seen uh, from women on social media? It was. You know, that was the one character that we saw, unlike the, the first one, for the most part, the same actors played their younger and older selves. Kizzy, you saw young child Kizzy, you saw teen Kizzy, and you saw uh, grown adult Kizzy as she then uh, melded into Chicken George's story in, in Night 3. The, the feedback has been, it's been interesting. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be totally honest with you, because this is the project that I have definitely gotten the most flack about, definitely gotten the most ridicule behind, definitely uh, been questioned and second-guessed the most about. But it's also the project that I've gotten the most expressions of pride and the most expressions of support and the most uh, uh, vocal, um, supportive, uh, please continue, please don't stop, please, you know, continue to tell these types of stories and thank you for their stories. Like, those kind of vocal expressions I'm, I have not received before. So it's, it's been, you know, clearly there was some polarization, but I, I'm, I'm so proud of the fact that it's, it's a project that made you feel something, no matter what it was. As a filmmaker, I take a lot of pride in being associated with projects that, make you feel something you know I, I think that if you go in and watch a tv show or a movie or, or or even a webisode and you just feel nothing well that was a waste of time so even if it's about you know laughter or entertainment or empowerment or education or something like this which try to do a little bit of everything if it makes you feel something then i feel like you've accomplished your goal well this is Taran. hey lady hey <laughs> And I, like you, watch this series every single night with my, my two adult daughters and my grandson, and he's 11. And, and it was so amazing. And the question that I got was from him, because he's so young, about Snoop Dogg. And your response to Snoop Dogg was brilliant. Have you spoken with him since his little tantrum of ignorance? <laughs> I, I have not. I tell you what's interesting and I, I haven't uh, said this to anybody, so this is this is kind of exclusive for the podcast. After you know, Snoop Snoop came out and said his thing, and you know he wasn't he wasn't alone in the sentiment, but he was kind of like the loudest uh, voice to say something, right? And you know then you had people who some who agreed and some who pushed back, and mm -hmm. you saw my thoughts about it, which you know basically just pointed out the irony in, in, in a black man in 2016 calling himself an N-word and a real N-word and encouraging mm -hmm. all the other N-words to mm -hmm. not watch this, you know. And I thought, boy, have the slave owners won, you know. I thought, boy, isn't it ironic that that's kind of exactly what this series was about, was the fact that they put that title on us. And, look, I'm not holier than thou. It's, that's, you know a word that I use sometimes, although I'm not proud of and I try not to, so I'm not saying, like, how dare he. I'm just saying the irony is not lost on me when you refer to yourself like that in the context of this kind of content. Mm. But the interesting thing was that maybe a week or so later, somebody sent me a post that he did about Uncle Buck, which is a comedy <laughs> on ABC starring Mike Epps and Neil Long, and he posted right. something in support of Uncle Buck. And for those that don't know, that also happens to be my show. I'm the producer of Uncle Buck as well. 
And I just, I I thought that was ironic as well because, you know, he kind of lashes out at the people behind shows like Roots, but then doesn't realize that those same filmmakers that are out there trying to make a diversity of content are behind a comedy that he did support. So, look, he has every right to express his thoughts and, you know, our ancestors went through what they went through and gave their lives so that we can say whatever the hell we want to say on an Instagram video or social media post or stand up and shout it from the rooftops if we want to. We can do that, and we can do that because we had amazing ancestors that survived and persevered throughout tremendous atrocities. So he certainly has a right to say it, although I disagree. I think he was very, very wrong. I also uh, appreciate the fact that, you know, he does – he is willing to support, you know, the comedy show that I'm doing, a television show. Either way, it's it's all content that you actually have a black person behind who's trying to make it and and hire other people of color, actors of color, directors of color, writers of color, you know, crew people behind the scenes. That's what I'm trying to do is give other opportunities to people that may not have it if I weren't the person making those Mm -hmm. decisions behind the scenes. It was so wonderful that you included your daughters in our original interview. What was the feedback from them after watching the series? Man, my daughters were into it. It was almost like like they were watching like a, a soap opera, like a real yes. a historic <laughs> version of an empire or something. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> like scandal. Like, wait a minute, you know, and at the end of night two when, when Kizzy uh, gets sold and they go, well, wait. What what happened to Kulta? Is that it? Are we going to see Kulta again? And, you know, I told her that mm-hmm. that was very intentional, that once somebody was sold away, that was it. You that did not it. see them anymore. Yeah. And so I was like, no, we, that's it. That's it for Kulta. His story ends there. We now follow Kizzy's story. And they were like, what? That's crazy. But then at the end of night two, you know, they were like, well, wait a minute. What's going to happen to the baby? You know, mm-hmm. Chicken George, I want to know what's going on. What's going to happen with him? And so they were into it, and they were following the storylines, and that was that was awesome. They were watching it, and they were entertained by it. And I know that that I accomplished something because I know there are other kids like them out there. And even though myself and, and you ladies, you know, we're all kind of in the same demographic, and we – uh, we have a different level of understanding of that time period than, you know, kids that are teens and preteens. They're really the ones that needed to see this, and the fact that it was it felt entertaining to them, although they knew it was historical, that's the real win because they're not going to sit down and watch a, a historical documentary that's trying to teach them something. They're just not. They're mm-hmm. kids. I wouldn't have when mm-hmm. I was that age. But if you can make it feel entertaining, then you can get a message across at the same time. It was amazing. It really was. It was amazing to be able to watch it with my family. And after after the fourth night, we were like, well, what are we going to do tonight? And then the <laughs> next night, the history, the history of the story behind Ruth came on, and we watched that together as well. It was, just, it was amazing. Welcome. Oh, that's awesome. Welcome. I love it. I love your family. <laughs> Come get them. <laughs> Hi, this is Kayla. Hey, lady. Hi. <laughs> Let me tell you, I did not need to watch the series before having to drive through Mississippi because I was just angry. <laughs> I was seeing all kinds of oh, things. I oh, I feel you. <laughs> but I you feel know. you were gripping the real tight. You was wish was. you was wishing a MF of wood, huh? <laughs> I was. I saw so many flags. I was like, ooh, I'm gonna burn it when I'm on my way back through. <laughs> but <laughs> 
the cast really outdid themselves within every single role. So for you as the exec producer, how proud are you of the outcome that you've gotten from these actors? Oh, man, super proud. I mean, I I, I think you guys are going to have um, reggae on your podcast yes. uh, at some point. Yes. And, and, you know, he was a true – I'd like to just kind of highlight him a little bit. He was so amazing. He's a – He's a young brother, but he has a um, a wisdom that belies his years. And he he took this role so seriously. You know, his process was indicative of all the other actors as well. They all were so like nobody came in like, oh yeah, let me just let me just knock this out real quick and get this check and keep moving. Like everybody truly understood the importance of it. And I work with a lot of actors. They're not all like that. I'm just going to tell you. Some some of your favorite actors, if you could really see what it takes to get them to get serious about their work, you would be very disappointed, and that's just the reality of it. But these actors, and many of them who like reggae, uh, like Malachi, like Imara, for many of them, this was like their biggest role to date. Some of them, Mm -hmm. it was their first role. Like, this was something that I think because... They knew the moment was big, but because they hadn't done it a ton of times, it, it, it didn't overwhelm them. Sometimes if you know too much, it can hold you back. Sometimes if you, you, know, you realize how, how much is riding on your performance, it can throw you off and make you nervous. These, these guys were natural. These guys came in, and reggae, he was very serious. He was very, very prepared. But then he let it go, and it was, like, effortless, you know? So... I, I enjoy watching them work. I give props to the casting director, Vicki Thomas. Uh, I've worked with her before. She actually cast uh, Ride Along for me, interestingly enough. But she's she's done a lot of a lot of great movies, a lot of great work, and so she was definitely helping us to find you know some people that you may not have been familiar with, but hopefully after this you will continue to see them. You and the cast are very active on Twitter, and you guys even live tweeted you know, with everyone, how was it to engage with the fans and the audience during that and getting the feedback while the show was going on live? It was, it was awesome. I, I, you know, I, um, I, I've had comedy shows on television. I've obviously had a, a bunch of movies, but this was like the first dramatic piece that I had where you could really like live the moments with the audience. So this was a first for me. It's different, you know, with with comedy, it doesn't lend itself as well to live tweeting. You know, you can. You can talk about shared moments. But when you have a dramatic piece of content, people are even more into it, and live viewing is a lot stronger. And so it, it feels like you're watching it with the community. What's interesting, somebody tweeted that the impact of the first one was felt over the course of many, many months and then subsequently many, many years as more and more people saw it and they talked about it around their water coolers or around their living rooms and you would see people when you went out and say, have you seen it? What did you think? Now the reaction was immediate. We all watched it. All those millions of people that were watching and also on social media, we knew what each other thought immediately. And that's something that's really, really powerful. When you have great content and you are able to tap into that kind of interest amongst the social community, it's extremely gratifying to get that immediate immediate feedback. And that was something that was a first for me, and I really enjoyed it. 
Excellent. I want to ask one last question before we wrap up. A lot of folks on social media were so excited about this series. They wanted to know if you plan to do something else in the future similar to this story, specifically speaking, Alex Haley's Queen. Uh, <laughs> mm. um, I I have got I the answer is yes, and uh, mm. I'm working on on some things, and and I'm not saying yes specifically to any particular project, but what I will say is that this has inspired me to do more in this in this world i'll say and i don't necessarily you know just mean slavery maybe not even just you know alex haley pieces but i think that there is a tremendous appetite for you know dramatic entertaining historical pieces that showcase us in amazing lights so i'll say that and i'll i'll leave it right there and i'll say that i'm 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 on my job. I'm working behind the scenes and producing, and so stay tuned. When I when I got my next one, I'll, I'll come back to the to the BGN podcast and talk about it. Excellent. I had to put you on notification. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. So this was much. awesome, y'all. I appreciate y'all having me. Thank you. This was an honor and a privilege, and just thank you for your work with Roots. It was amazing. I, I yes. really love this this art, and it was needed, and I'm so glad that it was so well-received because, you know, I was concerned how people were going to think. I'm like, please don't hate this. It's really, really good. But I, I saw <laughs> nothing but positive comments. And then congratulations for it trending on Twitter and um, getting a lot yeah. of feedback. So that's great. Every night. Every yeah. night there was something about Roots that was trending. That is that is huge, yes. And listen, as hard as we work as, as producers, directors, actors, writers, as hard as we work, what what really matters is when audiences appreciate it. And so, you know, you guys with your platform being vocal and vocal about your support of this, that means the world. I can't thank you enough. I sincerely mean it. We can go out and we can kill ourselves behind the scenes and, and you know, work until, you know, our, our fingers bleed. But at the end of the day, you want an audience to receive it. That's what we're hoping for. And so mm. people that are a part of helping get the word out, vocally supporting, that means everything to us. So just on behalf of the entire Roots team that brought this to fruition, I want to thank you guys. I want to thank the people that are listening to this podcast right now who saw it, who tweeted about it, who told somebody, who gave it a chance. There's so many people out there who did not even give this series a chance, but so, so many of you did. And because of that, some of those people who initially weren't willing to, they're now going back and watching it. Some people who missed night one heard everybody talking about it and said, well, damn, I need to get caught up. I need to go watch that. What is everybody talking about? I better go and, and fire up the DVR, you know, and I, I saw that happening. I saw people saying I wasn't going to watch it, but everybody's talking about it. I need to see it. I don't want to be left out of the conversation. And then watching it and saying, wow, it was so much more than I thought it was going to be. It was so different than what I thought. So I just want to really say thank you on behalf of our entire team because we can't do what we do and have the impact that we have without people like yourself. So thank you. Thank you. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, thank you, wow. thank you. So that's Absolutely. it, Will. I appreciate it. It was All right. great talking with you. Very cool. All yeah, right. it's always a pleasure. Thanks, Will. All right, y'all. I appreciate it. Thanks, ladies.
Our final segment is Girl Talk, featuring co-hosts Tora, Marquita, and Kayla. In this segment, it wrapped up right after we spoke with LeVar Burton, and we talk about random things from Little Rascals to South Park to Roots. So take a listen. Did anybody else start crying? Oh my god! I got it, y'all. I I cried. I mean, really, I felt like I was in church and I was listening to a sermon and that my life has shifted and changed as a result of every word that he spoke. It was that profound. I'm just amazed by this. Okay. I was like, I'm not ready to even talk. I'm just like, "Mm." oh my God. (laughs) And I'm really grateful that he's... I don't even know how you're supposed to respond when he finished. I'm like, I know, right? I know. <laughs> I'm like, okay. I had nothing to say back after I asked Lucky. my questions. I was just like, uh. <laughs> you just absorb. You just absorb the right. information and internalize it, and hopefully you don't, you know, <laughs> freak out. Um, but yeah, it was. I, I wasn't expecting to have such a thought-provoking, deep interview like that which I'm glad we did because a lot of what he said, people needed to hear, especially with the whole roots backlash, people need to listen to this. So man, I'm so glad that he articulated that. And thank you for bringing up Marky to the Snoop Dogg question. Yes. I thought that was really important. That was good. Because I I saw what he was saying and it rubbed me the wrong way because I was like, sometimes I was talking, actually how it came up, I was talking to another writer and we were talking about a story that we wanted to do about black Americans. That's why I was so poignant because if you go back in our past, that's going to come up. So that's why I was like fictional narratives with slavery because there's always this lashback anytime you kind of mention hint at it. And he articulated perfectly how I felt about it. Like it's not just being in chains. It's, it's really... Uh, is is yeah so and and in that embarrassment thing i think that's definitely coming up where people are just constantly embarrassed and and, and by leaving slavery behind you leave a lot of a lot of things that yeah, are positive the shaming of our history yeah. and our past and yeah. comparing that to people of the jewish mm-hmm. faith that you know they acknowledge that and they don't want to forget that and will packer said the same thing in his interview that, you know, That's the right. Jews, yeah. they don't want to forget the Holocaust happened. That's why these stories keep getting retold and retold. So I, I'm glad that he brought up that parallel because that, that's a problem in our community. Why are we ashamed of, you know what I'm saying? Like, this exactly. is a part of our history and we thrived as a result of it. That's something to own and be proud of. Right. That's, that's really value. Is. There's value yep. there. I think part of it, because I keep hearing people say, you know, I've seen enough slave narratives. And I mean, obviously, I disagree because I don't think you can ever know enough about what happened to our ancestors. I don't think that's a thing mm-hmm. to to be able to get to a point where you're like, oh, well, I've got enough knowledge. There's ne- we're never going to know enough about what happened to to them. There's been there's so much that's been stripped from us. But I think part of it is not having enough stories to go along with it. I think it's the shame in being, you know, seen as servile to white people and they're not being, you know, parallel stories of black success. 
I guess is what a lot of people are saying. And I don't think that that means that we should have fewer slave narratives. I think we should have more of those and also more, you know, more stories of our success. And I also think it's odd that they see slavery as, you know, because we didn't, you know, because we didn't rise up and get ourselves out of chains. They see it as, you know, a failure instead of the fact that we overcame it is the victory. The fact that we are still here is the victory, you know? So I, I see, I've seen it so much on Facebook, on Twitter, where everybody's saying the same thing. And I just, I can't articulate that under everybody's Facebook post. (laughs) Facebook is the worst. Um, yeah. yeah. You don't from anyone else. Tora, hmm? but I had, you just made me think of something. I said, but who has? I was like, we were talking about the Jewish faith. They, they, they didn't get themselves off of it. It wasn't for the allies. There wasn't, I think that's why they made Israel because there's no Jewish nation to do it for them. You know, if it wasn't for the nations that were coming against Hitler, those concentration camps would have continued. I don't think, I don't feel like I don't know. I feel weird um, that that's put on us to like save. Our, I don't know. I just it made me feel kind of weird. <laughs> well, like, not the biggest history buff, but I do think that um, with some of the islands like Haiti, I think um, some of the uprisings they basically were like, no, uh, we can't colonizers up out of here. Exactly, so. and I'm glad you brought up uprisings. That's why I'm so happy for Birth of a Nation because there's so yeah. many other stories that happened during that time that have yet to be told. And when I first heard yeah. about Nat Turner film being made, I was like, oh my God, thank you. Because I read the Nat Turner, um, I forgot what the name of the book is, um, but I, I read the Nat Turner book about everything, how he started, how he taught himself to read up until... Um, the Nat Turner Rebellion that happened in, in Southampton, Virginia. And it's just an amazing story. And a lot of those uprisings did happen. It wasn't just Nat Turner that had one as well. So yeah. I'm, I'm glad that we are finally getting some new perspectives because the oppressive part of slavery has been told a lot. Slavery wasn't always you know, like that for every county in various parts of, of colonial um, United States at that time or colonial America. Every- I remember in high school, the Nat Turner section of that part in our U.S. history book was a paragraph, not even a paragraph. Mm. And I was so frustrated. Like, really? A paragraph? And then go on to every other white person that helped or whatever. And I was just like, you know what? Mm -hmm. Uh, This is, and it makes you, that's why I hope that. And the kids that I help tutor, I hope that they go out. I, you know, I'll mention it. You should go look at this. You should go read this because you're not going to get everything you want in those history books because they're not written for us. They never have been. School history books are written to give the information that they want you to have. So you have to have that, not, that desire to know more. And I'm, that's, I think that was big for me as I wanted to know more. And it it also came from being told that I wasn't black enough. I'd be like, okay, well, I'm going to show you because (laughs) I damn sure am. And I think that was a big thing, too. And that's a big shame, especially for those that are lighter. They shine. They shy away from it. Mm. And I don't understand that. I've never understood that. Um, I've never understood being told that I'm not black enough because of the way I look. So for me, it just made me have a desire to learn more about my family 
and where we came from and the things that we did. And I, I was so grateful to have seen Roots at such a young age because I had to know more. I, I asked questions. And what's sad is that a lot of my family members didn't have any of the answers. So, you know, thank God for ancestry. I found out all kinds of things. My, my, um, grandfather, his, my great grandfather, his mother was labeled in the census because she was not married and she's a black woman. She was not married to the guy she was living with as a concubine in the U S census. I didn't even know that was an option. I didn't know yeah, that. Right? It, that, I think it was, and I have to look it up again, but I remember it was 19 something. And I was like, all right, they still use that word. I thought they left that over in, uh, in Asia, but you know, Hey, Centuries they brought ago, it up. Yeah. Yeah. But no, that's what it's labeled. And it caught me so off guard. I had to double look and I kept zooming in and that's exactly what it said next to her name. Um, and because he was white, so they called her a concubine. Oh, wow. So it, it, I like to learn these things because if you don't know where you come from, you're not going to go anywhere. Mm. That's why he hit such a nerve when he said people shy away from these things and they don't want to know. There's people that just don't care. And I don't see that. And you don't see that from Mexicans. They want to learn. You don't see that from Native Americans. They want people to know yes, their story. So true. Right. So we have to embrace the stories that we have out there that are being told. So I, I, he, he made me cry when he started talking about Barack Obama. Me too. You heard me. I was like, I'm going to cry because I'm just like, and you know what? I hate to say this, but there's going to be a lot of black people that have been so critical of Obama that is going to miss him when he's gone. Like these same people that had so many nasty things to say about him. So cr critical, throwing all of this vitriol in his direction. The minute he leaves office, you're going to see all of these praises and how great of a president he was. And it's like, where yeah. were you when he was actually in office doing things, helping unemployment to be decreased, helping with all of these jobs, bills and health um, care in this country? Where were you when he was actually making things well for this country? But now that he's gone, all of a sudden you've got all of these great things to say about him. So that it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that unfolds when he actually leaves the office. That's why I rode that girl, I guess I'm with her, hashtag so hard. <laughs> oh, that was the <laughs> best hashtag. <laughs> like, I rode it so hard. Like, I love that. I woke up, up to the morning to that hashtag. I was like, what is this? And I just, oh my goodness, it made my morning. I'm not even going to lie. It made, it made it just a little, it took, it made it a little all right. It made me feel a little better. Like, I'm not the only one at my... I can't, I'm not the only one who thinks that this is not the best thing. I know. I was like, but girl, I guess. Girl, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think I was up that night. Like I was, I think I was up, I was like 3 a.m. Cause I have like insomnia. So it was like 3 a.m. And Mad Black Thoughts started tweeting it. And I saw like two tweets and I was like, girl, me too. I guess too. And, yeah. <laughs> and um, people keep like sending, I don't know who, published like an article about it like literally the next day but like my tweet is like the second one up there and people keep pasting like copy and pasting it to their facebook and like tagging me in it or like sending it to me via dm like did you know you were in this and 
because of that, I keep getting like diehard Hillary fans in my mentions. Like, <laughs> oh, like yeah. I, the stands are just, ridiculous, aren't they? Yes. Oh, God. And I just like reply to every one of them, girl, I guess. Girl, I <laughs> guess. There you go. I mean, like, I'm not going to put a lot of energy into nope, this. Nope, not this. Like this. <laughs> and it's, it's crazy how polarizing these supporters are, whether they're supporters of Hillary or Bernie. Like, I saw a tweet today. It was an image of this girl burning Elizabeth Warren's shirt because Elizabeth Warren is now standing behind Hillary and endorsing her as the presidential candidate. And I'm just like, why are you burning a shirt? Like, what is wrong with these people? I'm tired. I'm I'm just tired. Like, like I don't know who is more... Like, I, I was here for Bernie. Like, I, you know, but I'm not... I'm not out here like ripping my clothes. Like it's sad. I don't. I don't want to have to, you know, vote for Hillary. But I'm just not. Like it's not I that serious. Like if you, if it's, it's not, yeah. there's not another option. There's, there's no other option. Yeah. Like right. You're gonna either split the vote and Trump wins, or like just get with it. Get with the program. This is what's happening now. But they're just, oh, they're so, and even being like a Bernie supporter, like the, like a lot of them are obnoxious. Oh my God, yes. Oh my God, I'm just calm down. Like there was some girl that was like just trolling the girl, I guess, hashtag, just replying to every single tweet. No, just write Bernie's name in. No, like literally the same thing to everybody. And I was like, girl, if you don't stop, I'm reporting you as spam. Like (laughs) what's wrong with you <laughs> i feel meh about each candidate um rodimus prime he has these like shirts and merchandise meh the vote that's how yeah. i feel about both <laughs> democrats yeah. i'm gonna be honest with you i hate the two-party system um i'm not down with the electoral colleges like everything is so freaking archaic with our voting system it's ridiculous but, you know, in November, I'll vote for Hillary, girl, I guess, because mm-hmm. damn it, we're going to have a freaking racist, Islamophobic, homophobic, just irresponsible person running sexist. this country. Sexist. I mean, every ist you can think Unqualified. of. Unqualified is just like the, what, what is he ever, what has he done? You know what? We watched Little Rascals last night. I completely forgot he was in that movie. He was a little rascal in that movie. Really? I was like, what happened? He's in the movie. He's the rich little kid's dad. Oh, and God. I completely, we're watching it, and I go, no freaking way. <laughs> the, little spoiled, the little spoiled kid? Yes. Well, he could have been that nice, because that kid turned out pretty, you know. So, <laughs> Kayla, based off of his appearance in Little Rascals, you're not voting for Donald Trump. <laughs> no, and that movie has everyone. Okay, I would vote. I would vote for Reba McIntyre over Donald Trump. I would vote for my dog over Donald Trump. Oh, oh my, my god. god! Did you guys used to watch South Park? Um, there was like this one episode, and they were like they were like voting for the new school mascot, and it was like douche versus like turd sandwich <laughs> and that's yeah. like, oh yes i remember that's that legit what this feels like and i'm yeah, just that's what it is um, yeah. that's the 2016 election year right there either of these things <laughs> well it's funny yeah. it's the best one i saw is it said you better vote for umbridge before voldemort becomes president i'm like damn it <laughs> like oh, we're all gonna be like filling out lines and on the back of our hands it's gonna say i must not tell lies but it's better than working for voldemort <laughs> so 
The best thing I saw had to do with um, like the Hunger Games. They're like, oh, I, I, oh, I guess because I'm out of shape and I'm not good with a bow and arrow. <laughs> that just, I, like, I can't represent any district. I'm just not there. <laughs> Did you guys like, see that? Like, it was like a mock-up of like um, <laughs> snow next to Trump. And then Hillary next to, um, crap, I forget her name, from Hunger Games. And it was, like, eerily similar for one. But it's true. She is President Coin. <laughs> 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 